Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 84 today. This is episode 84. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we're uh, getting in that cold season, man. How are things going? Good, man. Good. It's weird. It's like uh, I was down in Houston this week, and it's 20 degrees warmer in Houston than it is where I am, which is just south of Fort Worth. So, you know, you kind of leave the house bundled up, not bundled up, but, you know, a little long sleeve on, and you get down to Houston, it's like, okay, it's back to tank top and shorts and flip-flops. So it's it's a um, tale of two stories here in, in Texas, I guess you could say. But good week, man, and uh, got to pick up the two last gift baskets for the year so um, i got those i'm gonna try to i can't see them from where i'm sitting right now but um, i'm trying to post a picture of one or both of those um on linkedin this week so if you haven't left a rating and review in itunes go do that i know we got a couple this week or get to in a second but we'll be giving those away um one josh we're giving away let's see here next week the 16th okay and then we're going to give away one the 14th. And while I'm on that, while we talk about our schedule, uh, so we got a show this week, obviously, the 9th, doing one the 16th. Josh and I are going to take off the Friday after Thanksgiving, the 23rd. We'll be, we'll be, we'll, we will, I can't speak. We will be back for the 30th, the 7th, the 7th, the 14th, and that will be the last show of the year, and we'll come back January 4th. And so we will announce the gift baskets on the 16th of November, and the 14th of November, uh, December, rather. And also on the 14th, we'll have on Ryan Clark from Rodney Strong, who is sponsoring the gift baskets along with Specs, to talk about the winner for the trip to their winery. So a lot going on. But the 14th, Josh and I will record on the 14th, and we will not record again to till January 4th. So you need to get your ratings and reviews in um, because um, that's when all the drawings are. And the big one's coming up. So... We're working on some stuff for next year, but right now that's what we got, and we really appreciate all those who've left them, Josh. We've gotten a lot in over the last few weeks. Yeah, we. I mean, we're yeah, it's been uh, a ton. We got three came in this week, Ron. Uh, I mean, and they just came in. I I checked uh, Tuesday, mm-hmm. and we didn't have no. There was no new reviews, and today I checked again, and there were three. So I think I think one of them was posted a while back, and it just showed up. I think it took it almost a week to show on there. So um, that's uh, important. You know, listeners need to know that sometimes these reviews take seven to ten days posts here. So get them in early. I think if we're, we're doing the drawing on the 16th. They probably need to be in, um, I would say, no later than the weekend. That's right. That's right. Yep, go ahead and get them in and oh. get to December. And right, speaking of the three reviews, um, want to run over those real quick with you i think uh one of them came in from mail 16 you guys do great work i enjoy listening while on the road uh people in this industry uh, do a lot of driving and traveling ryan so they have lots of time to to listen to podcasts it seems like a half of the po- half of the reviews they mentioned that uh, the mm-hmm. next one is halcon black uh this is the one that came in on november 2nd but we just today uh, he wrote, I have tried several different podcasts on oil and gas throughout the shell boom period. Finally, in the last few years, the podcast has started to provide good coverage of and information on industry. Ron and Josh do a great job. And this is a must subscribe for all of that windshield time in the field. There it is again, Ron. And um, and the next one, PDH565. Uh, he wrote, it was interesting and informative. Just found the show after burning through all episodes of the drill down. 
would definitely recommend for anyone interested in the industry. Um, have to check drill down out, Ryan. He, uh, he, he said he burned through those pretty quick. So, um, you guys, I, we really appreciate the reviews. We really appreciate the, uh, especially the written content that really helps us out a lot and, uh, keep trying to do our best. Yeah. Thanks. Really appreciate the drill down. You know, I've listened to those. Um, it's been a little while since I've listened to, to one, but I do follow the work on the drill down and they, um, they do some good stuff over there. So that's another good oil and gas podcast that might be of, uh, of interest to some of you, to some of the listeners out there. Awesome. Well, Ryan, this week, you know, it should be in everybody's radar. There were, there was an election going on, you know, not a presidential election, but there were Senate races, houses, governors, and it seems like it's been just, uh, the only thing that the news cycles had to talk about, um, was, Concerns are were, uh, and we'll get to one of them uh, that we mentioned uh, a little later. But uh, the, one of the concerns for our industry is there are policies that are pro energy and policies that are, uh, I guess you'd say, pro environment uh, that that really are negative, have negative um, views of energy, energy production, gas production, and so there were concerns about how this was going to affect our industry. And uh, David Blackman, who we had on, I believe last week, wrote an article. Uh, was published in Forbes, I believe, yeah, yesterday morning. And uh, the title of it was The Midterm Elections Were Generally Good for Oil and Gas. And so I read through that uh, a little bit. You know, the the from Colorado to Arizona, overall, Blackman said that the the elections are favorable uh, to the to the energy um, to the energy industry. So, Ryan, what did you think about that? I mean, did you feel that they were favorable or um, is it something that we not really sure of yet? Uh, I mean, how'd you feel about the election cycle this past week? Yeah, I, I think you got to take what David's, um, reasoning for being favorable is. And the reasoning is, is that you have a divided federal government, which usually means nothing gets done. And so from that standpoint, he's arguing that the Trump administration and the Congress over the last two years has done an effective job of deregulation and pro-business environment. And so they, they did such a good job that now if you do kind of, you know, put a, uh, you know, uh, a finger in the dike, if you will, and kind of block everything up for next two years, um, then you're really not going to see a lot of impact on the industry. So from from that perspective, uh, I do tend to agree with him um, that, you know, you, you know if the government doesn't do anything, yeah, we've made our position pretty clear. So they're, if they're not doing anything, that's usually a good sign for everyone. So, good sign. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I do think that's, um, that is good. There were some elections and some things that, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not sure the long-term impact. I do think, and you mentioned, we're talking about this some more about the, about the Colorado stuff. You know, that was obviously a step in the right direction. Um, I, the only thing I'll say is I saw an, an article I posted on LinkedIn this morning about the Keystone Pipeline. And a federal judge um, has, has uh, put a halt to construction. And one of the things that the federal judge put in place was... Uh, there was like three or four things. Now, this isn't the full opinion. This is just summarized from the Wall Street Journal. But one of the things that the federal judge um, mentioned, at least according to Wall Street Journal, was that th- that they need to revisit the viability of the Keystone Pipeline in with a low in a low price environment, something like that. Now, let's just stop and think about that. If the if this judge is really saying, and I, I haven't read the opinion, maybe we get Joe Dancy on, uh, I saw him commenting on some as well, um, talk about this, but here it is. The ruling requires the federal government to update a prior t- 
2014 environmental review of the Keystone XL to weigh several additional factors, including the impact of lower oil prices on the project's viability, its related greenhouse gas emissions, and modeling of potential oil spills it could cause. So let's go through those kind of one by one. Um, we'll start with the last one. Modeling of the oil spills it could cause. Ah, that seems pretty easy. You could go do that. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm sure they have those pretty... Um, handy the etc uh, keystone rather has those pretty handy um greenhouse gas emissions that's that's just i mean okay we're not gonna waste a lot of time on that that's just silliness but hmm. uh you know well, i mean come on you know how 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 you get a model that to any you know that's kind of, it's kind of one of those deals what do you want me to say so i can say it almost but this is the one that caught me off guard including the impact of lower oil prices on the project's viability it's my contention that the government should not be involved in your project and what you think the market's going to do. Because the government doesn't understand markets. That's why they're trillions of dollars in debt. Because you got morons trying to run this thing. So if the, if the judge, and I don't know, if legal person listening, please email and clarify this for us because maybe we're missing it here. But what business is it of the government to look at Josh wants to open a business, and Josh says, I think I can make money doing this. And then the government says, well, provide me a report saying how how you can do this in the market. Well, it's none of your business. And so when we look at these elections and stuff, so I, you go back to what David's saying. Yeah, on some level, I do think it's, um, it is, you know, if we can kind of keep the government from just doing stupid stuff, then that's great. But there were elections that did go ways that, you know, on the – the, the Democrats did pick up 30-something seats in the House. Um, so what are the long-term uh, impact of those? We don't know yet. So I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, but so, you know, I know some judges on some appellate court level seats were lost to people who probably aren't pro-business. Those are the races that, you know, no one really follows, myself included. I just happen to know about a couple of them from, from some friends and whatnot. But those are the types of things that you see. Um, you go, okay, huh, well— these are the types of things that we're concerned about, Josh. And, you know, um, I, I, so I don't know. When I read something like that, I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, anytime the Democrats pick up pick up um, seats, you, you have to be fearful of this kind of nonsense being being put out there. Because, as you said, it's, it's, it's almost not pro-environment. It's almost anti-business. And yeah, that, and, and, and if, you, if you're curious our thoughts on, you know, regulation and stuff, you can go back and listen to old shows. We've, we've kind of hit on that. But um, reading stuff like that kind of concerns me because you go, okay, you know, what other judges, you know, what, what what appointments for, uh, for judges, and I don't know if this judge was elected or appointed or, or whatever, um, what kind of things like that might have happened this election that no one's really paying attention to? Because there's just, there's just so many elections that it's hard to keep track of. You know, and not, not only that, there were uh... – Another article from MRT run uh, where the there are some folks that are saying that Democratic controlled house and environmentalists opposed fossil fuel development uh, that they're gonna they're gonna drastically try to change the administration's uh, energy strategies and they're wondering how that's gonna impact uh, the approach that's being taken with Iran and the sanctions that are being put on it and so there's a lot of uncertainty with the uh, with how these you're going to impact the the Permian's uh, productability, and also with the with the democratic control of some of the House, and like you mentioned, some judges. 
and what kind of changes are going to be made to these strategies and how is it going to affect oil prices? Uh, you know, we've seen oil prices for about seven straight weeks now and they're down to 60, which is still not terrible, but, uh, it, you just, you just hope that this doesn't, that it doesn't continue, that it stops and it starts to turn down. Um, but I think, I think overall what David's saying is absolutely right. The fact that the government's divided, the changes that have been made have been made and they're going to be un very, very slowly because of the divided government. So that should give at least some time to still reap the benefits of these, uh, reduced regulations and, and, and things like that. Yeah. 2020 will, will really be the tale because, um, you know, what happens then if Trump administration holds the white house and, and then what happens with the, with the Senate? You know, from what I understand, the Senate seats up in 2020 are more Republican than they are Democrat. Um, I don't know about the House seats. Um, but anyways, um, so, you know, you could see that the, the Republicans lose some Senate seats potentially um, in 2020. But we still got two years. So I think you got two years. And, you know, as far as, you know, the the Congress impacting oil prices, that's that, that you know, the things that Congress would have to do to impact oil prices are, are so drastic that I don't really think people should worry about that in the sense of, hey, you know, they're going to impact oil prices. Um, the things that they would do that off the top of my head that would impact oil prices would only drive them higher, right? So they would make it harder to drill, which would take barrels off the market, which would then artificially raise the price. So I can't think off the top of my head of a, of a way that the that the U.S. federal government could impact oil prices that would drive them down. Um, unless you want to say they deregulated, and we don't think that's going to happen with a Democrat-controlled House. So unless you have some kind of deregulation, you're, you're in a heavily regulated environment, um, and then you roll back those regulations, and then barrels sort of come on the market, then you could see the price come down. But but the price right now, I, I don't I don't think that, that there's anything they, they can do to impact the price. Um you're just going to see a lot of a lot of mudslinging over the next two years, and so you know, uh, I think more concerns are going to be stuff like the Iran deal, uh, what's going on in Venezuela, um, you know, what 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 ends up happening in China. Um, there's a lot of talk right now about um, I think South Korea is looking to go get a waiver or maybe an additional waiver. I can't remember what it was for the Iran deal. So you got a lot of stuff like that. Those are things. If you're curious about the the price of oil you should be following. And then, of course, we got this bottleneck in the Permian that every day we're getting a little closer to it being done, but we've still got, you know, another year before we're we're over that hump. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I think that's going to be the major things that impacts the, I think the, the, the situation for the Permian is just going to be when this bottleneck clears. But, you know, one of the things I... <laughs> I was uh, watching, and Trump, you know, he he, uh, he tweets quite a bit, but he sent out a tweet. Uh, it was kind of, I guess it was satire. Um, he's he thanked uh, Nancy Pelosi for getting the the getting reelected to the the House uh, chair or something like that. And the the basic uh, the basically what he was saying was that he really appreciated it, and even if the vote would have been close, he would have asked some of his Republicans to go in and vote her into that position. And he was saying uh, that. Um, that he thought that uh, the the situation is going to be that his agenda is not going to really go forward for the next two years because now that the House has control, uh, it's going to obstruct everything that he's wanting to do. It's going to be his platform for 2020 is that um, that basically the reason none of everything stopped getting done for the last two years is because the House is controlled by the Democrats and so it's going to be his platform. But it was it was funny that uh, that the the way the tweet was written it was, it was it was he didn't do a lot of funny tweets it was actually pretty funny. 
Yeah, he he's trolling pretty hard right now. And, uh, you know, Trump, you know, I don't want to spend all, all day on my thoughts on Trump, but he, uh, if you can just, if you can just step back from whatever level of seriousness you ascribe to what the government does, you got to admit, he, 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 he swings for the fences when he goes for it. I mean, he, he really swings for the fences and, and, uh, sometimes he, he, he makes some funny remarks, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the Trump deal really, um, you know, we're not getting too much into, but you, you still got two years of Trump administration and what happens then over the next two years, the things that for the Trump administration are important are the Iran deal, as I mentioned already, you know, the deal with China, China. what's going what's to happen with North Korea. You know, those are the things that I think the Trump, the government, quote unquote, which is uh, Trump's part of, could do that could have an impact on prices. Um, I don't see anything outside that. Now, if you would have had something like this Proposition 112 in Colorado pass, you know, then you could have seen, you know, maybe prices fluctuate or something like that, which won't ever happen in Texas, but if something like that were to happen in Texas, you know, you could see problem. But, but those are things that you can't really predict, you know, you can't imagine something mm. like that coming up and going, oh, wow. So you can't worry about that stuff, I don't think. Well, speaking of that Proposition 112, Ryan, we had uh, Joe Dancy on. It was uh, last week, and we talked about the Proposition 112, and the they were trying to increase the setbacks, I think, from 500 feet to 2,500 feet. And uh, Dancy said the way the law was written, that it could just about effectively completely shut down the uh, the oil and gas industry or drilling drilling in the state of Colorado. It, it would shut it down almost completely. Um, and he had intel that suggested that it was going to be pretty close and had a great chance of passing. Um, the results were out. Only 42% of people in the state voted for it. So it did fail, which was great news. I, uh, I was very excited about that uh, because – Something like that, if, if it were passed, would be terrible for the Colorado economy. Um, and I, I just, I hate to see, you know, people, their jobs. There were predictions that, I mean, somewhere between 70 and 100,000, which I don't know how where they get those numbers, if they're reliable. But that was the prediction that it would be that many jobs lost if this, um, if this piece of legisl- legislature would have, would have been passed. So um, good, good news there. And that was actually in, uh, in, uh, in the article from David Blackman, he, he mentions that as one of the wins for the oil and gas industry or energy industry. And Ryan also mentioned I, I'm, uh, from Market Watch, U.S. oil prices at lowest in nearly eight months. Uh, this is seventh week in a row that they've dropped. Not not a like I said, not a tremendous amount. Maybe something you want to you want to check and uh, keep track of. Um, I, it's intuition, Ryan. I just it seems like to me that that number is going to start to turn back around. I don't know why I feel that way. But it seems it just took a slight uh, downturn for the last seven weeks with the election cycle and some of that. Um, I mean, how do you feel about the oil prices? Do you see them staying around 60 or getting back up to 70 over the next couple of weeks? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you look at it and this is when you talk about, you know, reading the headlines and trying to figure out what's going on, this is what's so frustrating. You'll read headlines that, you know, I think it's Citigroup right now is talking about oil at $100 a barrel. And obviously in the oil market, anything is, you know, theoretically possible. But, you know, there, there's there's things that the market is trying to evaluate and is trying to get a grasp on. And one of those things right now is, is you know, you have these Iranian sanctions. The question is, is how many barrels are actually coming off the market? So Iran has eight countries uh, and jurisdictions that it's given waivers that the u.s is allowed to give waivers to so in theory we know how many of those barrels are 
um, because you're saying, okay, well, you know, we're given, um, you know, India gets a waiver for this amount and China gets a waiver for this amount. So you, you have those kind of waivers. So you can look at those totals. But then there's a lot of speculation that over the, well, there's not speculation, over the last few months, Iran has been turning off their, uh, their transponders on their tankers so they can't be tracked. And so some people have speculated that they've been doing that to test their, uh, via, their, their ability to transport barrels um, in mass, obviously, illegally. And so now that the sanctions are in play, they've turned off, I don't know if it's all or most of their, their transponders. And so, you know, the market's kind of sitting back and going, well, how many barrels are actually on the market? Because you, you see that Iran's supposed to be, you know, they were producing X, and now you have the restrictions, and then you add the waivers back to it. That's where Iran's production should be. But we know that that's not true. Um, and so I think the market's in a spot. is trying to evaluate the data like it always does. The hedge funds right now are very bearish on oil. Um, the hedge funds change their position, you know, it seems like every two months. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. Um, you know, will the price rebound before the end of the year? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but again, I don't... I don't feel like we're um, here, here. The final thing is that as prices go down, you know, as oil prices go down, the things that oil produces, you know, the fuels and the the petrochemicals, those those the costs of doing uh, producing those things become cheaper, which then can sometimes help spur on economic growth because you go from um, let's say make up a number here. I don't know what gasoline was, but three fifty four dollar gasoline. So now you get 225 gasoline um, or um, you know, propane, other fuels. So sometimes a lowering of the gas prices, I mean, the oil prices can actually spur on economic growth because people look at that and they get excited they can buy things for cheaper. So it's you know it's, 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 it's hard to say. The, the, we're not drawing from the, the supply and the analysts or the, the uh, traders are reacting to that and, you know, devaluing the price of oil. But, um, you know, the final thing, Josh, is, is maybe price the oil was a little bit inflated for the last three, four months, anyways. You know, and so mm, maybe they're yeah. they're kind of correcting the market. And Ellen on Energy Week has speculated that that there was a correction due that the price was a little bit inflated. Um, so it's all these things. And I'm not trying to sidestep, but it's just you, know, you sit back, you start analyzing these things, and you go, "Good lord!" You know, how do you figure out what's what? Yeah, it's too much. It's really too much <laughs> to factor in and make accurate predictions. Right. And, well, yeah. Then the uh, the the former. Uh, head of OPEC said only Allah knows the price of oil and you know and every, everyone jokes if you knew where oil was going you wouldn't be talking about it you'd be sitting on the beach sipping pina coladas because you'd be the richest person in the world hmm. that's right well Ron uh, we're looking at the rig count we were at 1,174 uh, this week it was up uh, over 30 uh, 30 rig over 30 rigs uh, up this week well we have our Guest uh, Sergio Chapa uh, from the San Antonio Business Journal. He is back on with us today. Sergio, it's glad to have you back on the show, buddy. How's it going? Hey, good morning, Josh. I know I'm glad to be on here. Uh, glad to be talking to y'all. Um, just back from a road trip, um, and uh, and uh, very excited about uh, the oil and gas industry. You know, we we kind of I don't know if we broke news or not, but we talked last week that you are going on to bigger and better places and. We'll we'll talk about that in a second, but first we need to get you on the record right now for the millions of listeners around the world. You got a new job, and Josh and I think that we're mainly responsible for that. Is that correct? Can you confirm that for us? That is absolutely true. Thank you. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Right. Well, you're welcome. The, my new bosses are listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are you are welcome for that. Um, 
that 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 uh, referral fee we talked about. We need that check. Um, you know, we got kids to feed, man. In the so. mail. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. <laughs> well, congratulations. Break down the new job, where you're going, when you'll be starting. If any of your links where people can find you can change before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about. Yeah, right. So after four years with the San Antonio Business Journal, and it was, it was a fun adventure covering the Eagle Ford Shale and all the energy sector in South Texas. Um, after four years there, I'm headed over to join the um, energy team, energy reporting team over at the Houston Chronicle. So I'm moving from San Antonio to Houston in the middle of that process right now. I'm in San Antonio right now, getting the last of my stuff to take over to Houston starting on Monday. So starting my new job on Monday. So it's going to be a, a big day, and I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Going to be covering service companies midstream and Mexico primarily, okay. but along with other things here. Ser- service companies midstream in Mexico, you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, sir. And so mm-hmm. this podcast will go out on probably Tuesday. Have you warned the Chronicle that when this drops, their servers may crash because of all the traffic we're going to send their way? <laughs> I hope they're up to it. I really do. Okay. I really do. Yeah. I, I, might, I might mention it to them when I, when I go through new employee orientation on, on Monday. Yeah, yeah. I, might, I might mention it to them. Yeah, and... By the way, guys, the servers. <laughs> Let them know. Let them know. You know it's, you know, it's... Uh... It's just the, the the impact is real, and so well, congratulations, Sergio. We're glad we got you that new job. Um, we're we're on behalf of on behalf of Josh and myself. We're we're excited for you, and uh, you know, final thing before we get into to the real meat of the show, you are going to come back on. That's correct. We got you know we got to hold you to it, right? Pending editor approval, but pending, I don't see any problem. Okay, tell you what, you tell your editor to talk to me, and uh, we'll get him lined or him or her or whoever lined out on that, uh, because uh, we got to have this quality content. And if they want the traffic from the show, then you know they gotta they gotta <laughs> scratch our back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Sergio, uh, we, there was a article, some articles that you wrote uh, over the last week or so. One of the topics that has has been discussed recently has been the need for road expansion in the Permian. Um, but what do you know about that? How are they going to go about paying for that? You know, me and Ryan talked a while back about possibly, you know, different strategies that some of these companies could take to, uh, find a way to pay for these roads or make oil and gas companies pay for these roads as they, as they use them. Um, so what, what is, uh, what is the news circulating, uh, about how they're going to do this? Right. Now it all, you know, dovetails off my first trip to the Permian basin. Um, you know, but, between these two jobs, um, I took a bit of a road trip going from, you know, the big thicket to DFW, Abilene, Colorado City, Midland, Odessa, and out in the Orla, you know, Toyaville and the Guadalupe Mountains and Fort Stockton. And uh, one thing that was just immediately clear is that, you know, the roads, Interstate 20 um, through Midland, Odessa, all the way to uh, Pecos is, is strained. It's a nonstop traffic jam. And then also on US-285 between Fort Stockton and pretty much Carlsbad, New Mexico, is, is also strained. Um, there's some relief, some construction out there, but it's clear that, that they need to, to uh, expand these highways and uh, you know, build more infrastructure in the middle of this Permian boom. Um, so TxDOT's in, in charge of that, and uh, we're going to find out in this upcoming legislature in January, you know, how much money will go to improving these roads. Um, you know, I know, I know a lot of your, your listeners out there have probably been to Orla more, more than once, and, uh, 
out there in Reeves County is a ghost town, and now it's like a boom town. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's a traffic jam in a four-way stop in the middle of nowhere, and it's, 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 it's amazing to see that, to see that transformation, and um, you know, it's um, the, the, that highway expansion is very badly needed in, in uh, U.S. Highway 285, which runs between Orla and Pecos, and it's, some, it's happening in parts. You see these huge natural gas plants, all these saltwater disposal facilities, oil wells, drilling rigs. Everybody's out there, all the sectors, and um, and you see some roadway expansion, but it seems like it's behind the times right now. And, and I think that I think that what you'll see in the in the upcoming uh, legislature in January is a push for more funding to expand those roads. So when you're saying expanded, Sergio, are you talking about um, actually like widening, you know, a two-lane road to a four-lane road, or are you talking about building um, more infrastructure, new roads to help maybe um, take off traffic off of some of these roads? No, I, I, it, it's it's the it's the it's the former, um, like taking a you know roads that go one way in each direction and adding two lanes in each okay. direction, so going from two to, to four, and you see that work already happening um, between Pecos and Orlando, but but it's not going all the way through yet, you know, and, and I think that, that, um, you know, the, it, you'll see more pressure for that when we get to the legislature and definitely in uh, Midland Odessa, interstate 20 is two lanes in each direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see the need for three, maybe four lanes in some parts there. And then you, you know, you've got cars, you know, passenger vehicles sharing the roads with these, these uh, 18-wheelers, tanker trucks, all types of, you know, um, equipment and chemicals going out to these drilling sites out there. The roads are, are pretty much strained out there. Yeah, that, that's going to be the question, I think, is when you look at this, is that you have a lot of, as you mentioned, 18-wheelers that are carrying a lot of stuff. And I don't know what percentage of the traffic they make up, but I would imagine – it's a lot because obviously one 18 wheeler takes up a lot more space than one passenger car. Um, and so you start compounding that with what's going on. Um, has the legislator, you know, when you talk about privatization of roads, um, there's, there's been some talk about privatizing roads in some parts of the country and using more of a toll system that is a sliding scale. Um, depending on the time of day, you could charge more. Um, has there been talk of that of maybe, I'm encouraging companies to say, you know what, if you will change your route delivery um, to early in the morning, we'll give you a tax benefit, or if you do, go later at night, we'll give you a tax benefit to take the big trucks and try to um, encourage these companies to change their delivery times or route times. I know some some things obviously can't be changed just because of the nature of the business, but has there been creative thinking along those lines to incentivize companies to use the, use the roads during non-peak hours? Well, I can speak for the Eagle for it hasn't happened there. And uh, as for the Permian, you know, it might, I, I, I can't speak with authority. That's an issue I'll have to be diving into at, at the, uh, at the Chronicle. But, um, but I'm sure that, that ideas like that might be welcome or might be discussed in the legislature coming up in January. Um, as far as toll roads go, there are, there are none out there in, in the Permian Basin, and, uh, none in the Eagleford. So, I don't know. Um, the, the biggest strain, how, however, though, is uh, I've seen what I've seen in Eagleford comes on those county roads, mm-hmm. and um, and the county-owned roads, um, you know, state, you know, state highways and interstates are you know taken care of by tech stop, but it's up, up to the counties to 
to fund those roads. And those are the ones going out to the rural areas where the oil wells are. And that's where you see, you know, the most degradation of roads. Um, there was a recent lawsuit, Dimmick County versus a consortium of, of 20 oil companies. And one of them, I believe, was Anadarko. Um, the oil companies won that that lawsuit. Uh, basically, Dimmick County was trying to sue them to get money for their, you know, crumbling county roads, which were being used primarily by these oil companies, you know. And um, so um, they had been in this protracted lawsuit over the past couple of years. And then just recently, um, the Dimmit County lost at, at the, you know, appeals court level. Now, I'm not sure, it's not clear yet if they're going to take it to the Texas Supreme Court. But, you know, you already see that, that pressure, that local pressure there. I mean, these, these county governments, Although they're benefiting from the oil boom, um, they're still not benefiting enough to handle their, you know, demand for services and build roads. So that that money has to come from somewhere. Right, and it's a tough so spot. So that's be- another issue that'll be addressed. Right. Yeah, it's a tough spot because the roads, obviously, in Dement County or you know, just about any county, weren't built to maintain the uh, level of traffic, much less this heavy traffic that's going to go up and down. And so, I mean, I don't know how to get a road expert on here. You probably said this stuff more, but, you know, when you talk about, you know, repairing the road, I don't even know if that's, you know, if that's enough because, I don't know, if the foundation of the road is enough, if you just kind of patch it over and over, if that's going to work, or you need to, you know, repave the whole road. I don't know enough about roads to say. But um, it, the frustration that, you know, it feels like um, is that you, you we, we got to figure out a way to where we protect the local people, and um, you know the, the 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 way it works now, at least it seems, is that you have you know the companies are being taxed by the state, they're being taxed by the feds, but then the county, the local people, are the ones actually being hurt, and the state's not really having. You, let's talk about the major interstate systems; they're not incurring as much damage as the local people are, and the local people don't have the money to replace it. Um, and so it feels like there needs to be a shift in balance, and how I think about these things, where the companies um, can work with the local counties, um, and they're not just being raked over the coals by being taxed at all levels and so i don't know how they do that um but it seems like there are some viable solutions for that but uh it's it feels like right now everyone's kind of in this this the spot where they're not really sure what the best way to move forward is and i i don't know um what what have you heard from the companies on their willingness to work with the counties to repair the roads because they obviously have a vested interest in those roads being drivable right uh you you do see some companies uh putting in money for private roads and things. Um, but, but I think we're the, the biggest things that you're going to hear in January or in the upcoming legislature is from the County judges, um, organizing and, and lobbying for those, those funds for these County roads, you know, which are needed by the industry. Right. Um, I think that some of them, some of them point out that, you know, that, that the oil and gas industry contributes so much to the Texas state budget. And yet so little gets, you know, kick back for these county roads where the where the development's taking place. So I mm-hmm. think that you might see a push to correct that situation in in the upcoming legislature. Sergio, you know, this was uh, we just passed, I believe, at the end of October. It was the tenth anniversary for the Eagleford, and um, you had I think several pieces that you had put out with some things that were going in in the Eagleford. Uh, what, what sort of news has been circulating around the industry? I mean, what's the history of the Eagleford, and and what's been some of the talk of the industry? You know, ten years later. Oh yeah, no, uh, great question. Um, the San Antonio Business Journal they hosted a uh, an event to commemorate the tenth anniversary of the Eagleford Shale discovery 
and that's the uh, October 21st, 2008 announcement from Petrohawk Energy Corp. about the Hawkville field, the natural gas field uh, near Catula. And um, we had uh, Rick Perry, Secretary of Energy, former governor of Texas, as our keynote speaker. And, and, and you know, he brought it home for everybody from like going, back, going back to the beginning, talking about, you know, the present, how they survived the downturn, um, and then, you know, what role the Eagleford and, you know, oil and gas and domestic oil and gas production plays in like geopolitics and everything. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a good, good, good discussion. And, and secretary Perry said that, you know, that, that it's, it's transformed people's lives, that development, you know, in South Texas, you know, people that he brought up an example of, uh, of, uh, of, of a ranching family where the husband and wife both had to work and run and maintain their ranch. And now, thanks to oil and gas, they were able to, you know, leave those their jobs and just focus on ranching and farming. Yeah, the oil and gas industry has made um, a lot of people's lives better in a lot of different ways. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do the math. So 10 years ago, 2008, I'm trying to remember. I remember when I first heard about the Eagleford, and I remember thinking, what the heck is an Eagleford? You know, because <laughs> someone said, uh, yeah, we're going to try to work on the Eagleford. And then, you know, as I, from what I remember of it, to just tell you kind of my, and I don't remember the years. This is, it wouldn't have been 10 years ago, probably been probably been closer to eight, but I had to go back and look at the some of our jobs. Anyways, I remember talk, hearing, hearing people talk about it, and then you, you heard EOG's name a lot. Um, they were kind of one of the forerunners, at least of the big companies. I know mean, you mentioned um, um, uh, Petrohawk there a minute ago, but EOG, from what I remember at least, they were kind of one of the forerunners that were out there and uh, still a player in the Eagle for today. No, definitely. So, yeah, you know, EOG actually. So, so Petrohawk. You know, they announced the discovery of the Hawkville field in, in uh, October 2008. Let's fast forward to maybe five months, six months later in March 2009. That's when um, EOG announced the discovery of the Eagleville field mm. in Carnes County. Okay. And that is the crude oil sweet spot. Now, remember, Hawkville is a natural gas field in the Eagleford geological layer, whereas, you know, Eagleville is, 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 uh, is, is oil, crude oil primarily so yeah um that that took place a few months later they had already been drilling and exploring when petrohawk made their announcement so a lot of companies had this instinct that that you know there was something there and then finally it all just came together about 2008 2009 didn't really take off till 2010 or 11 but here we are today with uh let's look at these production numbers 1.4 1.4 million barrels of crude oil per day and 6.4 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day. So let's just fast forward 10 years from now when you're at uh, Reuters headlining their energy department and you're coming on the show. Um, what are we going to say about the Eagle for the end? <laughs> well, it'll still be in play. It'll, it'll be a mature, it's already a mature field now, but uh, it'll, it'll be so then it'll, the oil and gas in the Eagleford will be, exported around the world um, with all these LNG facilities coming online, all these new refineries. Um, you'll see uh, crude oil from Eagleford at the, being used at the, um, and crude oil and NGL being used at the ExxonMobil refinery in Gregory, Portland to make plastics and other materials. So a cheap source of, of domestic uh, hydrocarbons being used to make a number of useful products. You'll see that. 
you'll see Chenier Energy, Freeport LNG, uh, for, uh, Chenier LNG, you'll see Freeport LNG, uh, maybe some LNG terminals in the Rio Grande Valley, the Port of Brownsville, all of them exporting natural gas from the Eagleford Shale um, to destinations all over the world. Well, Sergio, there were uh, two articles that came out of the San Antonio Business Journal this week. Uh, the first one was Last Days at Valero Energy Partners Underscore Market Changes for MLPs. And the second one was Capital Market Conditions for MLPs Impede Howard, G- Howard Energy IPO. Um, talk to us about some of the inter- uh, information about Valero Energy and some of the market changes that we expect to see. Right. No, I mean, those two articles are all part of the, of the same trend that's going on in the right now. It's kind of a shift away from master limited partnerships in the midstream sector, you know, pipelines, storage terminals, you know, related infrastructure. And, um, you know, uh, it was like earlier this month, um, Valero announced that it was going to bring back its master limited partnership, Valero Energy Partners, back into the parent company. That's a $950 million deal bringing all those assets back into, into the parent company. And, um, you know, what, what you're seeing here is this trend is that, you know, uh, capital markets and Wall Street, they're shifting away from the old MLP uh, business model. And that was, you know, to do these equity-funded drop-downs and then on a quarterly basis pay out these uh, distribution rights, these IDRs, and just pay them out to investors. Um, that, 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 that's, that's now shifted uh, starting last year. It went to a floor distribution growth business model. And then more like instead of drop-down um, equity-funded acquisitions, now it's self-funded. Organic growth is a favored one by these, these capital markets. So that, that's, you, you take that along with uh, – you know, federal tax reform, a few uh, changes that the FERC made to interstate pipelines and their taxes, and then that, just that quarterly pressure, you know, to deliver those IDRs. Um, it's it's taken its toll on on MLPs in the midstream sector. I, I did some research, and and back in February 2016, there were as many as 63 of these MLP, you know, master limited partnerships in the midstream sector. There's only you know, 49 today, and um, pretty soon there'll be 48 after uh, this deal with Valero closes. Well, Sergio, I know you got home uh, late last night. You're moving today. We won't keep you any longer. Um, you're going to the Houston Chronicle. Josh and I are super happy for you, as I told you the other day, and we'll say it on the air again. You're one of the best in the business, and we appreciate the work you do. It gives us something to talk about, and so we appreciate that. We wish you nothing but the best at the Houston Chronicle. Unless you don't come on the show, then we hope it just goes terribly for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure I'll, I'll be back on the show. So. Well, Sergio, thanks again for coming on, and uh, tell people where they can find you at. Um by the time this comes out, by the time this airs, where can people find you at next week? Right. No, um, I did. I do have another Twitter account. It's at Sergio Chapa, just all one word together. Um, that's Twitter, and uh, it's a it's a good account. And uh, I think you've already found me there. And then on Facebook, it's uh, Sergio Chapa News. That's a Facebook uh, fan page. And then also on Instagram, that's Sergio Chapa. 
and those are the best places to find me online. Oh, and LinkedIn, of course. So. Well, good deal. Well, Sergio, thanks for coming on, man. I know it was kind of late, late notice and all that, and you had a lot of travel going on, so we really appreciate it and look forward to after you get settled in, maybe the first of next year something to get you back on the show. No problem. Happy to do it. Anytime. And thanks, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your year. Well, we want to thank uh, Sergio Chapa for coming on our show again. We really appreciate him. Uh, great guest to have on the show. Lots of good information about the Eagleford and some of the you know, up- upcoming deals that we're going to see with Bolero. And just um, overall, lots of good information, a helpful, helpful discussion on the road going on in the Permian. And uh, so thanks again, Sergio, for coming on the show. And Ryan, I think uh, we've already done the rig count. That was 1174. And uh, I think that wraps it up, man. What else do we got? Uh, in the show notes, there is a link to the phone number, 318-599-9192. You can send a text, leave a voicemail for the show, and we'll take it right here on the air. And until next time, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.